and welcome to another episode of the Who Dat Jedi podcast. We are the Who Dat Jedi. I'm Aaron, and join with me, as always, Fredo and Dave. How we doing, guys? Good. Hello. How you doing? I'm 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 good. Uh, so far, uh, seems like let's not. Hopefully, we haven't pissed off the technology gods. Hopefully, we have better uh, internet connections. And you know, I guess I was telling Dave earlier, my my upload speeds have been like in the gutter for about a week. And I just did. I restarted my computer and did an internet did an internet speed check before we started. So should be good to go. And they'll probably tank in five minutes. But yeah, that's the way it goes. So, um, and Dave is silent. I don't know. He muted himself. So you know, whatever he's trying to say <laughs> I, is not coming through. That's a self-inflicted wound. <laughs> yeah, it was. I was gonna say that the um. I wouldn't take it too hard because Facebook was just down for a day. So, you know, and they cost themselves billions of dollars by doing that. But, you know, you know, what's interesting and I didn't realize how many credit card systems couldn't be used because Facebook was down. Like there were a number of people like I went yesterday that I needed to get a gift card for somebody. And I went to a local uh, coffee shop and they're like, well, our credit card systems are down. So even if we could. Even if you have cash, I can't activate. I cannot activate the gift card because that requires us having an internet connection and you know connect to the credit card system. I'm like, okay, that's odd. Didn't think about it until apparently it wasn't. It wasn't the only store that it happened. It was a number of others, and apparently told. Bouncing back to the fact that Facebook's connected to all banking institutions. Want to, they want to know where you're spending your money. So are you saying that if the Russians want to take over the United States, they just need to take down Facebook and we will all crumble within moments? That or, or we'll all get smarter, brighter, and better people. I don't know. It's we all move on. Actually, maybe. Hopefully. I don't know, but I'm I'm sorry. I've I've I was a teacher for 19 years. I still consider myself a teacher. I'm going to rant for a second. The people who were complaining last night that Monday night. I'm sorry, we're recording this on Tuesday. So who were complaining that Monday night football was delayed because there was lightning in the area, but they're in a covered stadium. It's like it's not an enclosed stadium. Yes, there is a roof, but there are openings around the sides and lightning can go sideways. There are, if anything in the last year and a half to two years has taught us anything is that people need to go back to science class for the love of all that's holy. I mean, you know, it's like one of my, one of my wife's students said they should just spray the vaccine in the air. <laughs> right it's, it's like mix, and mix they, it into the nacho cheese well then i'm saying <laughs> then i'm saying we need if this is the way everybody's thinking about how nature and science works then we seriously need uh, to up our game in the sex ed department because i'm sure there's a lot of things they don't understand about how things work but anyway i'm, I'm gonna get off my rant here but come on come on folks i mean it's it's like that was another visit to old man Aaron's corner. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> as as much as I'd like to be watching Monday Night Football and see a bolt of lightning strike, you know, a player in the middle of the field. <laughs> I mean, maybe maybe not. Um, yeah. So anyway. we'll the the name, we can change the name of this to Three Old Men Rant, and uh, <laughs> you know, good news, everyone. I'm in terrible pain. Okay. It's uh, it's going to be more accurate, but yeah, it's 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 absurd. Um, when I was in school 25 years ago, uh, this was, science wasn't a big requirement. 
especially if you were studying the arts like I was. I was going to be a Oh, so, same. I didn't. I didn't have to. I, yeah. I, I had to take one science class in my undergrad. Um, and and I remember even in high school, I I avoided chemistry just because like chemistry was intimidating. Oh so my like, god, chemistry! So, that chemistry is when I learned. Thank God for lab partners. And so Michelle <laughs> Francis, if you are out there, I know we're Facebook friends. I don't know if you listen to this podcast, but you helped me through chemistry. Anyway, go ahead, Dave. I'm sorry. But my point is just like that was that was the standard, and I think the standard now is much lower than than that. Um, you can take religious exemption to you know pretty much anything they teach in science and uh, get away with it. So so all right. So I've I got I have to tell this story, and. Um, I have to be careful about how I tell this story so that people don't get the wrong idea. So as a sophomore in high school taking biology class, um, my table partner um, partway through the semester got pregnant. Not by me. Not by me. Wasn't mine. Nobody, but, nobody was thinking that. But here, here's the thing is that so as she is getting farther along, and I'm, I'm not a good science student anyway, but it's like she gets to the point where the baby started to kick for the first time. And I've never seen anything like that before. I mean, I was the youngest of my of all of my my brother and sister. And, all, you know, so I never I never encountered really a pregnant lady with a baby. And so she's like, oh, my God, Aaron, the baby's kicking. And I'm like, so I'm totally distracted. And then she's like, oh, watch this. And she like pulls her shirt like tight against her belly. And you see the baby just go. I'm just like. I'm so whatever, whatever Mr. Chlorophyll up there is saying, it's like God, about God knows what, you know, because more uh, like Borophyll. Yeah. So I was doomed in, in, uh, high school science from the get go. Um, anyway. Okay. Well, but I did have my chemistry teacher. I wanted to be so good in chemistry because I saw this guy, he enjoyed his job so much whatever he was talking about was the most interesting thing and exciting thing on the planet to him. And I wanted to do so well for Mr. Kurt Wright, but I couldn't get chemistry to save my life. So anyway, I'll just say, I'll just say real quick as somebody who did have to take all those chemistry classes in their labs, there's nothing worse than having to take three and a half hour chemistry labs and getting one hour's worth of credit. So Ooh. in retrospect, I probably should have yeah. picked something in the arts, not science. Yeah, those labs that was in college, right? That yep. was the yep. worst because you'd get you'd have to take three hours for the class, and then an, you'd only get an hour credit for the lab, yep. and you'd be in the lab like all week. Yep. Yeah, and I if you break that. something, you're starting from scratch. Those <laughs> days to take like sixty dollars deposits for like breakage fees and whatever. I'm never getting that back because you're gonna <laughs> break stuff. We're doing the exact opposite of what we were talking about at the beginning, which is like let's encourage people to reinvest in the sciences. And here we are, just like complaining about. Yeah. Science. Moving on, staying school kids. <laughs> so. Yeah, yeah. Enough of, of Mr. Borophil up there. You didn't, this isn't the Houdat Jedi Science podcast. But I mean, I, like I said, I will say, uh, Dave and I, we've we'd admitted, we've admitted that we're dumb science people, but we understand how vaccines and lightning work. So, you know, there is that. There's that. Yeah. And All we right. can also have Holly back on at some point if we want to talk science. Yeah, we should. We should. Well, let's get to some Star Wars trivia, shall we? And let's get our brain wrapped around. By the way, before we do the trivia tonight, we're going to be uh, talking about how the prequels have 
influenced our perception of the original trilogy. Um, so again, it'll be kind of a free flowing conversation. We got a couple bullet points we want to hit. Fredo's got some cool news. Um, and, uh, yeah. So, but first let's get our brain wrapped around some star Wars. All right. So Dave, how many scout troopers pursue the Ewok who hijacks a speeder bike? Oh yeah, it's pretty much all of them. Uh, but I'm trying to remember exactly how many it was. Uh, three. The answer is three. I would have said Whoa. two. I thought two went after the Ewok and one guy, because there was three speeder bikes. Stay behind. And one guy got left behind. So, I, but I don't know. I don't know. We have to go watch Return of the Jedi now. Call shenanigans. You got, you got it right. You get the points. So That's what I'm going to say. I'm going to self-advocate here. It was three. The, the points are in the mail. All right. So, uh, Fredo. Same category. I don't know what the category is. But uh, what, and there's quotes around this, so I'm going to do air quotes here, but what borrowed item does the medicine man brandish in the Ewok village? What borrowed item does the medicine man brandish in the Ewok village? And if you, I'll give you bonus points if you can name said medicine man. Well, I'm going to skip the bonus points because I can't remember it uh, right now, but I'm going to guess a Stormtrooper rifle. Is that the one that I'm thinking of, or am I thinking of something else? Dave, do you know the answer to this? That's a nice way of saying Fredo's wrong. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what I was, I was getting at. Now, I was, I was trying to think. It's like I don't remember hmm. him brandishing anything, but it's, hey. uh, it's, it's uh, low gray, right? It's the, the, the medicine man. The name is low gray. And, yeah. uh, but what he was waving around was Luke's lightsaber and oh, okay. uh, fun story. I'm much later in the movie. I'm thinking after they beat the stormtroopers. Fun story um, in Omaha, Nebraska, back in about when did Shrek come out? Did Shrek come out like about 2000 or so? Yeah, about 2000. Okay, yeah. because uh, there was a, a convention there called AlphaCon the first year, and you, I, I splurged and I bought the VIP ticket, and what that got me was I got to like have a meet and greet, and just long story short, I sat down and had a beer with Logray, the guy who played Logray. We just sat there and chatted about this, that, and the other. Then, uh, then I actually. Uh, um, sat down, my brother-in-law and I sat down with a guy who played Leatherface. So that was kind of interesting, even though I've never seen Texas Chainsaw Massacre, but I knew it was Leatherface, but I had a beer with an Ewok. So, all right. So I'll keep the same, uh, uh, category. What color is the uniform of the TIE fighter pilot? You mean Darth Vader? Yeah, that's the funny. Yes. It's black. Yes. We've gone through this before. Every time, uh, troop at the 501st if there are TIE pilots uh, people will always say hey it's Darth Vader and then they get mad <laughs> so alright cool well uh, so uh, before I officially throw it to uh, uh, Fredo for the news because the first bullet point is that the Lego Star Wars Terrifying Tales came out did you guys watch it? not yet I watched it from afar while my kids watched so okay. I sort of took some of it in. Brittany and I watched it. Were they it. terrified? No, they were laughing. <laughs> so I guess we won't get too in depth on this, but uh, the, I will say there's some there's some fun references 
um, that actually it was kind of funny. Uh, Brittany was really like into one of the references and then I, she's like, because it was referencing a movie, um, from the distant past. And she says, you've never seen this movie before. And I was like, no, I haven't. And she even, I mean, they even modeled some characters after the, in the movie. So I, I just, I won't get into it if you guys haven't watched the whole thing. So I don't want to spoil it. Um, but like I said, there are some neat references. It's Lego. So it's cute. Um, um, but yeah, so I don't know. What'd you have to say about it, Fredo? No, no, I'm probably going to try to watch it sometime this weekend after I get through with everything. But yeah, uh, I was just thinking, simply thinking, I love the idea of doing these little, little Lego Star Wars specials on a, on a yearly basis, picking around a different holiday. So yeah, Lego's Terrifying Tales dropped uh, this October 1st. It's interesting I because I, I saw a, uh, an article today that somebody said, because um, one of the tales is basically how um, Ben Solo becomes Kylo Ren. And they said that Lego did a better backstory for Ben Solo and transformation to Kylo Ren than the sequel trilogy did. And I, can... I almost have to agree. I almost have to agree. <laughs> I think that the Lego it. the Lego shows are a little hit or miss for me. Um, sometimes it, it gets a little eye roll worthy, but um, I'm glad they exist and uh, that there are high points, like you just alluded to. Like there are times where they do a, a better job than than some of the other story writers. Well, I mean, know what know what know what you're getting into. Know what you're getting into. It's like yeah. if, if you're gonna go. Um, I mean, you know, it's, it's like music, you know, if I want to be intellectually challenged, then I'm going to go get tickets to, um, like snug Harbor and watch, you know, you know, um, Jason Marsalis play, or I'm going to, you know, or, you know, what have you, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to listen to probably some heavy jazz, or I'm going to go listen to, you know, a symphony orchestra. If I want to be challenged, if I want to be challenge musically intellectually you know but if i just but sometimes you just want to have just fun you know and just listen to fun music that's you know three chords and performed well and it's just you know so that's what lego star wars is you know yeah we make the mcdonald's cheeseburger comparison a lot on this show and it's exactly the same thing you know it's like sometimes you want a mcdonald's cheeseburger there's nothing wrong with that and it's it's a pretty good way of uh giving something and that's one thing that um disney has done really well with, with disney plus and star wars they find a way to give each segment of the fan base something that they can like and appreciate and make theirs doesn't necessarily have to be the mandalorian or the book of Boba fed it could be star wars visions it could be the lego specials it could be in any of the behind the scenes stuff there's a way to kind of give something to everybody so that maybe if you have say younger kids you know that don't necessarily uh, you wouldn't want to necessarily want him watching Visions, for example, but you'd be okay with him watching Legos, like Star Wars. So it's, like a said, smart, it's a smart tactic. Like I said, I enjoyed it. Um, I think I enjoyed the first holiday special more, um, but I wasn't like looking at my watch while watching this. It was fun. It was fun. So, so which holiday do you think that they'll do next year? Thanksgiving, President's Day? Yeah. Holiday, uh, 4th of July? Who knows, you know, it just might become like, you know, it's, you know, the 
Charlie Brown Christmas special or the Thanksgiving special. You might just, they just may take it off for a while. And then every year it just comes back for like, I don't know, is the holiday Lego holiday special still on Disney plus? We don't have to check right now, but I don't know. I I mean, they got to make server space at some point, but, um, the Lego Lego made a special. I don't know, but you know, with Lego, I wouldn't be, uh, and that's for another show. So anyway, um, uh, so speaking of other shows, just right quick, uh, did we got official confirmation from Disney Plus that Book of Boba Fett will premiere on December 29th this year? So if, if you mean we told it this December, are you surprised that we haven't seen any trailers or any stuff for that for it yet? Though, or do you just think, you know, they they know that they got their audience, you know, they don't have they don't have to do anything at this point. So am I surprised that we haven't seen anything yet? Um, no, because we have Disney Plus Day coming up. I mean, True. and, you know, it's like if they're December 29th um, and it's only the beginning of October, um, it's and what Disney Plus Day is, what, November 4th? Is that what we said? Or 8th or 5th? Something like that. So, I mean, that's that's about the right amount of time to get people, like, excited about it. You know, if beginning of October if we see anything then it's enough to make us forget about it um so I think and it's plus, a really good, I'm sorry. go ahead that's a good bet is good bet for November because I think last year we got a trailer in October if I'm thinking back correctly um and so it was about a month out ish um so you'd be talking about a month out for Disney plus day um I think that would be a really good bet. Do you remember when we all used to feel excited and like it was a privilege to see a a trailer or a, you know, a a little preview of an upcoming movie? And now it seems like the the internet world is, why haven't we seen that? It's like, I've said it on this podcast before, I'll never forget that one of the first things i saw of return of the jedi was when we we had like a book fair at school and my friend ordered like a return of the jedi it was before return of the jedi came out so we were actually seeing you know pictures of the the unfinished death star and things like that and it was so it was it was really really cool um but i mean we didn't sit there and you know demand we need our trailer now i don't know it it's just it's interesting and i think that's just a product of the internet and social media but 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 i also think it's a question of the company you know it's a recognition of the competition that most media properties and products are with one another i mean just in the same in the next three months you're gonna have everything from the latest james bond movie the adaptation of Dune, the next couple of Marvel movies, including The Eternals and Spider-Man. So you're going to get hit with a lot of stuff, and they're all vying for the same pot of money, so to speak. So it always surprises me, you know, because it's understandable. I mean, they know they're going to, you know, because they're not selling it the same way, and they know that, again, they have their audience. People are going to want to watch The Book of Boba Fett. Uh, But at the same time, it's interesting that they're going to, you know, we're going to go this long and not have seen anything since the announcement. But okay, I, right. Can I go back and I just looked it up. Um, the trailer dropped last year in mid-September. 
rather than October. So um, by that metric, we could expect to see it any time now. So who knows, really? Um, but I, I, do, I still do think like there's some merit to that idea, Aaron, that there's there's another reason for people to get excited about Disney Plus and come to our service. So and you um, can be you can be ultra. I was going to use a different word. You can you can you can really stick it to people by only releasing that trailer on Disney Plus for like a couple days before it goes to YouTube, you know, officially. It's like you have it on Disney Plus Day, so everybody who's subscribed already gets to see the trailer and then the next day or the day after then you release it on YouTube and stuff like that. So, um and if they actually say the Book of Boba Fett trailer is going to be on Disney Plus first, that might convince somebody to fork over the, you know, the money that they were going to fork over in December in, you know, November. So, all comes down to the mind. It could be a good way to. It could no. It could be a good way to tie in, saying, "Hey, if you want to catch up on everything, you know, how did Boba Fett come back? You know, use this. Use this time between now and then to get caught up with the Mandalorian, and you'll know." Speaking of the Mandalorian, right quick, and uh, this is going to take us into a bit into the rumor mill. Uh, there was an article over, and we got we got this covered. Uh, they were talking about a video uploaded by. Another uh, YouTuber called Star Wars Mag, so giving credit where to. They're currently filming season three of The Mandalorian, even without uh, Pedro Pascal, who's not filming The Last of Us for HBO. But according to this video, they were they saw Kevin McKidd, actor Kevin McKidd, hanging around the California sound stages for The Mandalorian. Uh, for those of you who don't know Kevin McKidd, he's been on everything from Train Spotting, Grey's Anatomy, uh, Dog Soldiers. Uh, no, uh, Rome from HBO, but he's best known to Star Wars fans as the voice of Ben Rao. Now, season two brought us Bo-Katan and Ahsoka Tano. Because season three, which we suspect is going to feature heavily with the Darksaber and the Mandalorians, bring back, bring in Fen Rao. Well, and, and Fen Rao, for listeners, um, is uh, in Rebels. He was uh, one of the protectors of conquered dawn he was a mandalorian um and he ended up being in in rebels he ended up being the voice of he ended up being kind of the mandalorian historian if we needed exposition for mandalorians and their backstory everything he kind of provided it um and uh so this the to me this and like I said total rumor mill but this is the kind of character that makes total sense to put into you know here because it's not going this isn't a character that people are going to be you know giddy and jumping up and down that oh yeah hey Fen Rao is in you know is in the Mandalorian you know it it but it makes sense and it's going to be for people like us who have seen Rebels and when we hear that voice and we know that character it's like oh okay cool you know and so it it binds the galaxy together a grain of salt the the there's a really good chance that kevin and katie are good friends and he would want to be on set to support his friend so there's that um but i also feel like if you're doing the palace intrigue sort of thing with uh like who's the real leader and let's have some backstabbing and 
you know, we're going to see plotting, you know, who's going to take the throne, you know, all that kind of stuff, which we sort of hinted at at the end of season two. Um, he makes perfect sense to, to add, fold in. So, well, um, and that's the thing is that it wasn't even at the end of season, well, at the end of season two of Mandalorian, but in Rebels, the last that time that we, you know, it was when Bo-Katan was holding the Darksaber. I mean, Fen'Rao was by her side saying, I will follow you to, you know, wherever you go. Um, so again, I, I think it just it, simply, it's one of those things that just, ma- it just makes pull- sense. So. No, but I mean, but he still could fulfill the function you're describing, Aaron, of being the Mandalorian historian, the lore keeper, the person who does the background exposition for all the cool stuff that um, you suspect the Mandalorians have done. He could still do that in season three very well. And depending on how they want to portray him, he doesn't even have to be in Mandalorian armor. He could be kind of like an elder statesman at this point. Elderly, you know, he's not that old, but, you know if they wanted to go that route and he didn't necessarily want to be in Mandalorian or like Katie Sackhoff all the time, he could do that. No, oh, like I said, I think I so, just, I just think this makes sense. I saw this story this morning and it was like, and if somebody's going to, this is also, yeah, you're right. We get into rumor mills and stuff like this. And sometimes you see just the dumbest stories on the planet. Cause people want, you know, just, they're trying to get clickbait. Right. Mm-hmm. But, but Fen Rao in, Mandalorian season three is not this. It's not clickbait. You know what I mean? It's not going to make people just go diving into, you know, it's so anyway. Um, so that's why I give no, it a little bit more credence. It makes sense. And it's like, why are you going to, you know, roll the dice on Fen Rao, you know, but whatever. Right. If you, if, if you wanted to get click clickbait, you'd say Ezra, Mil- Ezra Bridger or uh, Grand Admiral Thrawn in season three of the Mandalorian. That would get you lots of clicks. It would be further from the reality you suspect the Mandalorian season three is going to hit, but it will get you some clicks. Whereas Fen Rao feels he's not that big of a character that he's going to necessarily move thousands of fanboys to, you know, some famous website or a video. But at the same time, he's somebody who's established enough that people would recognize him. People who love, know and love Rebels, they're going to be like, yes, we want to see him. So again, makes sense. Uh, this next story, actually, I'm going to go from one rumor mill to one possible rumor, but not, nothing yet. Actually, it's more of a request. So uh, Empire Magazine was doing an interview with the cast and crew of the Marvel's upcoming The Eternals, which is being directed by Academy Award winner Chloe Zhao. So during the interview, which apparently happened last year before she won, became Academy Award winner director Chloe Zhao, they asked her about Star Wars because she mentioned it about five or six times as being close to her heart. And here's the here's her uh, the question and then the answer from the uh, uh, interviewer. He says, you know, you've mentioned Star Wars a good couple of times now in this call. It's obviously really formative for you. So then he kind of establishes the uh, big blockbuster, huge franchise with Eternals. She asked him, would you like to direct a Star Wars movie? And she goes, I have to tread very carefully carefully with what I say here, but yes, let's just say it's a world I have so much reverence for because it was such an important part of my life. So let's just put this out there. Uh, Kathleen Kennedy, Cole Clojow, give her a Star Wars movie. I, you know, there'd be worse choices to, uh, to, to, 
pick from, you know, and uh, I, I think that we are going to hear that over and over and over. We've heard that from so many directors already. This is that generation. They grew up on these movies. And so for them, it'd be like a lifelong dream to be able to direct one. Uh, and, you know, some, some directors are very, understandably, they would shy away from that because it's like it's too big of a responsibility or they've moved on to other interests, uh, what have you. But um, this is kind of a, a repeating story that we hear from from these uh, these directors now, the accomplished directors well, now it, that, that they would like to be involved in this universe. Well, and here's a here's an interesting um, story that's moving side by side with this is that Mina Masoud has been kind of um, playing coy with is that the right name? For, I mean, yeah, mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. playing coy with whether or not he's going to be Ezra Bridger that hasn't been confirmed. And he was in an interview saying, you know, yeah, I was just because uh, I was listening to the Resistance broadcast um, it's from Star Wars News Nets. There, it's a great Star Wars podcast. Um, and they were talking. He he was saying, yeah, I was just manifesting there. You know, basically, I want to, you know, I want to play Ezra Bridger, so I'm going to tell, I'm going to make some noise on the internet, say I want to be. Ezra Bridger. And then he kind of started, they asked him a question. So, you know, the people who were interviewing him asked him a question. He said, well, I can't really talk about that. So he kind of showed his hand that, yeah, I've been hired because if you, unless you've, unless you've signed an NDA, you're not going to say, well, I can't talk about that. You're going to talk about whatever you want to. Anyway. So it's kind of like my Irish band is we wanted to play the Kansas city Irish fest. And so I've, just I, I told our fans on our mailing list, I said, everybody email the Kansas City Irish Fest and tell them they need to hire the Wild Clover Band. And they just got hammered with emails. And to the point where the guy who got all those emails, like, who the hell's the Wild Clover Band? And they like, we got to hire this band just because they have the chutzpah to, you know, to do this. Um, and so that happened. So now, I mean, if you're a director, I mean, Nobody's going to walk up and just give you anything. But if you're, if you're accomplished at something, you say, yeah, I want to do Star Wars. Then you're going to have people at Lucasfilm going, oh, we never thought about that, but yeah, this would be pretty good. I mean, so I think, again, it's this age of social media, this age of, um, you know, people being their own, um, you know, marketing wing, I suppose. I mean, they, they have to... You just can't wait around for them to say that I we're going to give you the Star Wars gig. I mean, you just have to say, I want it. I think Rosario Dawson did the same thing. Um, if we're thinking of examples, so she sort of campaigned for that role and got it. Um, and again, that may have been she a little cagey on her part she might have already had it sewn up and they were just floating well, it that was a little bit the public, that, there's still you know, an argument but, there's our question about you know chicken and egg here because yeah, it's yeah. like somebody created an image you know of her as ahsoka tano mm -hmm. and then that's when she went yeah that might be a pretty good kind, idea you know but this these, is the same kind of thing though because this could be a chicken or the egg situation where it's like she may be cagey because she already knows something yeah yeah, you know? but, I, but I think also, I mean, it's just it makes sense for people to just say, I think I could direct a Star Wars movie. I want to direct a Star Wars movie. And people are going to go, you know, make, you got to make some noise and then you might get your foot in the door. So, Well, and, and uh, I think in some ways, 
because it's interesting that she's saying this as she's directing Marvel's next uh, big gamble. Because the Eternals are a big gamble for Marvel because they're not an established uh, property. They're the team up. It's got some kind of weird sci-fi, space 70s vibes kind of thing going on. So it's gonna it's gonna be different. It's it's like you know like the biggest gamble they've thrown out there since Guardians of the Galaxy, which was another weird, trippy, space heavy um, team up movie. Uh, but uh, th- I don't know if you either of you saw Nomadland, which is the movie that she won the Academy Award for. Uh, she's got she's shown a very not only good eye but a good sense of heart and of storytelling. So that's why I'm kind of I'm I'm be willing to give her you know I'll be I'll be happy if they give her the opportunity and I think that's something that uh, the folks at Lucasfilm have to kind of almost go like okay you know not just stick with you know there's going to be some pressure to stick to tried and true filmmakers but taking a chance on somebody like Taika Waititi or taking a chance on somebody like Patty Jenkins or taking a chance on somebody like Chloe Zhao gives you the opportunity to branch out your storytelling in ways that open up Star Wars even further. Because that's really what they need to be doing is they need to start thinking, okay, how do we make Star Wars that, you know, self could perpetuate for the next 50 years or whatever. And the crowd goes mild. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, but anyway, so she's asked, she's, she wants to, let fingers crossed, we'll see uh, what they say. Uh, I'll finish up right quick news. And this is less the news about what's happening because October is, I don't know if any, any of y'all did this when you were in school, uh, Star Wars Reads Month. I, they, they, I they, trooped they, at Star Wars Reads Day. Yep. Well, now it's a month. Okay. <laughs> and uh, so Disney is donating 10,000 books to, uh, I believe it's called First Book, which is a, a nonprofit organization that provides new books and educational resources to educators to serve kids in underserved communities. It's all they're and, donating 10,000 copies of the novelization of The Rise of Skywalker. <laughs> they, they have <laughs> stuffed back in a, in a storeroom somewhere. <laughs> I'm, I'm, kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding, folks. But then on top of that, for every book, if you go to shopdisney.com, so Disney's uh, online store, and you buy a book from them through December 31st of this year, Disney will donate a book the first book. So you go there, you decide to pick up a couple of Daniel Jose Olders or uh, Justina Ireland's books from the um, uh, High Republic. Hey, they'll donate a couple of books. You decide to buy the novelization to Rise of Skywalker three times, they'll donate three books. So at least that, you know, it's not, I mean, we're always all in favor of people reading and picking up books and expanding their minds. So anything to that, we applaud. I agree with the basic uh, idea here, and it's a good thing. Uh, but I also want to make clear that they have a terrible record right now in how they treat their authors, especially their legacy authors. And I want that to be top of mind for people as they look at things like this. And it's like it kind of it shouldn't taint everything that they do, but it should be something that we're all aware of what do you, what do you, what do you mean this take take one minute to explain that oh the oh. um i mean clearly the splinter of the mind's eye stuff um in particular i got settled yeah yeah um that was just shouldn't have ever gotten to that point 
Um, and I, again, it's 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 top of mind for me because it, I, I think that they've run into a lot of those issues lately with their actors now, with Scarlett Johansson, um, and just this idea of maybe doing the bare minimum when it comes to taking care of the creative forces behind the economic engine that is the big mouse. So um, I think, I think ultimately I'm in favor of them doing what's right. So this is, this is a good thing. And I think that's good, but I also think like, geez, you know, like take care of your authors, please. And I think uh, just to piggyback of what you're saying, it's one of the apprehensions that anyone should have with media conglomerates just hoovering up intellectual properties left, right, and center, is that it can be quite easy for them to become the only game in town and thus, hey, we're giving you what you, you know, what we're going to give you in order to work with our stories because they're ours now so well, it's very it's very um, interesting that we're getting you know we're we're getting back to the um almost the patronage type of a uh, you know type of um, thing where you know like you know you know Handel and mozart and they all they all wrote that they're hired to write music for parties and things like that and that's how they made their bread you know and now and so they, you know, they could say, I want, don't, you can write whatever you want, but most of the time it was, I want this. And so now, yeah, I mean, actors, authors, it's like, you know, yeah, if you're going to, you may want that Star Wars gig, but, you know, Mickey Mouse has become your patron. So, you know, uh, but anyway, uh, so that might be a top, that sounds like a topic for a, another uh, episode. So, Somebody jot that down, and maybe we uh, we switch gears now over to um, our topic of the night, and how the um, the prequels. Now, Dave's notes say enhanced. I th- I think maybe we could switch it to influenced, our or affected our perception of the. Um, uh, original trilogy I'm, i just throw that little caveat out there because i think there's some things that um definitely influence the way i look at the uh the original trilogy but didn't necessarily enhance it um I'm, that doesn't mean i'm going to be negative the whole time because uh, there's a wide list of negative things you could pick up on too it's like well the, this thing affects my enjoyment of those films and i think like that's kind of the thing that you hear from people and so, like, I think the spirit of this discussion is the opposite of that and uh, trying to highlight um, the ways that the prequels actually make those enrich. a little enrich and make yeah. them a little more enjoyable for us. So you want to you want to kick us off here? What you're uh, what we're what you're going after? Well, I think the main storyline um, is going always going to be the um the main kind of thrust of this and it's like well, okay so luke's story and by extension anakin's story and by extension how that affects the the galaxy at large um and like that all of that has been enriched well, immensely huge a huge shift because you know the original trilogy it was all about the 
the redemption of Anakin Skywalker. I mean, yeah, it was it was Luke's hero journey, but at the end of the day, the it, it was about you know if, if we look to the Return of the Jedi, it's about the redemption of Anakin Skywalker. So the the prequels now made that a bigger story, and it was the the fall and redemption of Anakin Skywalker. So it made, created that that bigger arc, you know. Um, so I would I would agree with you that totally enhances that um and that then that really i'm sorry that really gets into then you know when you look at it that way that's why it's like you really do need to think about what order you want to watch this in or show it to somebody you know so that you know because if you That's look another at another episode we've been talking about doing soon. Yeah, I mean if you if you watch order. If if you're talking if you're talking about um if if you're thinking about just the um redemption of Anakin Skywalker then it makes sense to do a flashback, but if you're talking about the fall and the redemption then it makes sense to start in episode 1 and just go through to 6. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Well, what's interesting is when you, well, if you see it in the way we saw it, theatrical release, you didn't even realize that it's about the redemption of Anakin Skywalker till Return the last the chapter. Yeah. Yeah, till Return of the Jedi when Luke has to make that decision as to whether he's going to confront and kill his father or confront and try to redeem him. And uh, that was, I mean, that's all in the background. That's one of the smart things that Lucas and his writers and directors and people who worked alongside him, like Rick Asden, Irvin Kirshner, Richard Marquand did, was that it was always in the background. I mean, how many times do you hear the word father mentioned around Luke, you know, since episode four? Uh, since basically he gets in just about when he gets introduced, I think. But it was never, you were never, you're aware that there's something there, but you didn't realize what it was until the big reveal in Empire. And it's not until Return of the Jedi you get hit with the, oh no, what is Luke? What is Luke's choice going to be? And it, that's, and it's at that point that you have to come to, well, okay, wait a minute. There's a bigger story there regarding his fall since he needs to be redeemed. The prequels give you, a, you know, all that information. They give you all the uh, knowledge as to why, who Anakin was, the way he was, why he fell, etc. So if you watch them in numerical order, I think you you know you do get that like I said that deeper understanding that that's, that the core of the Star Wars story is one of redemption, whereas if you see it theatrically released, that doesn't come to the forefront forefront at all, not until you realize that that's in there. Yeah, you know, I, I've, and I've said it, and again, I I don't mean to be, uh, I've said it before on this podcast. If they, I wish that, um, they wouldn't have rely they wouldn't have paid so much attention to the reason he or made such a big deal of the reason he turned to the dark side was to you know because he was in love with padme i mean yeah on one side that shows how big of a heart he has but it doesn't jive with you know obi-wan kenobi saying you know he's more machine man than man twisted and evil you know even though he was speaking literally it was also obviously going, you know, very much figuratively there. And, and because he wanted, I don't know. So it, it did it. I mean, I'm not saying it negatively affected me, but it does change the way that I look at Darth Vader 
in the original trilogy now. Totally does. I think regardless of uh, the execution of how things unfolded in uh, episodes one through three, we, we, we now see a more complete picture of that character. And so um, if you're watching them in order now, and I say in order, one through six, um, when you go from three to four and you see Vader in the hallway looming over who you now know is his daughter it's you're like your brain goes to anakin right away especially if you're doing a marathon you're like i've been watching these and now it's like oh gosh you know that's part of a star wars drinking game is anytime vader's around one of his kids then you're supposed to drink i think so or another or any character he should know and maybe doesn't but maybe kind of does uh there's there's we're gonna touch on another one of those here in in a couple minutes but uh it's um i think that's at the the heart of, of of what's going on with that character now is that now you can't just see him as this faceless thing right this entity um and the ending of return of the jedi for me is enhanced because of that um it's like you said now you can't really separate the two um i can't separate anakin from that moment where he saves his son and um prior to that um change occurring of the prequels being made that was always a very powerful moment um but it didn't like bring me to the verge of tears uh and now it does uh in the same way that like if i'm watching um uh mary poppins and the dad is like coming around to spend time with his kids at the end of the movie it's like, and again, I'm a dad now, so it's just like, you know, just tears streaming down my face because it's just like, ah, I get punched right in the Cats in the that. cradle and the silver spoon. It's a little boy. That famous song. Yeah, I know, right? Uh, you know, but okay, so I want to take it, you know, so you talk about the, you know, the main storyline, Luke and his family. I And I know we're talking about the prequels and to the original trilogy, but then if you add the sequel trilogy into this, then it becomes this whole, the Skywalker and Palpatine, you know, dance thing, you know, the Palpatines become part of that, but that's not for tonight. Um so so yeah you're, i mean you're absolutely right you can't you, you know and it, it's funny because we're now also looking everything makes sense when you're after you've seen all six movies right you know and it's i would still love to sit down with somebody and i know a couple people that we could do this with and but you know just to walk through each movie and then just to see their natural reaction you know to you know the progression of, of Darth Vader, for example. Um, because I really do think that um, while, yes, the original trilogy was Luke's story, the prequels made it Anakin's story. Yeah, I mean, very I, much so. Yeah, and, and it's the other the other big aspect that we're probably going to talk a little bit about here, too, is this mirroring thing that goes on between the two. Um, and that that enters into the picture too, because you can see this story unfold for Luke, the original trilogy. And then you see it unfold for Anakin in a very different way. And so now 
if somebody comes into this thing fresh and they see it one through six, they start with one, they get to three, they get their minds blown by the fact that the hero turns to evil out of the blue. Again, that's a critique. That's fair. Uh, but out turns to evil halfway through the third movie and you're just like your mind is blown now where's the story going from here and then you get to see the same thing the same journey unfold with his son and it so by the time you get to six you're just like you know like don't turn to the dark side don't turn to the dark side and you get to see things play out i would also say i mean kind of playing off something i said because of the way that the original trilogy feels, the arrival of the Emperor at the end kind of feels like, okay, who's, who the heck is this guy? Whereas if you watch them, the prequels, you know, first, you know full well when he steps off that shuttle in Jedi that there's going, that there's plans afoot, that there's some sort of machination happening, that they're going to entrap Luke in some kind of way. And so when you see that mo- those moments in the throne room between Palpatine and Luke, you almost go like, kid's got no chance here because we know what he can do. We know how he can play people. Which yeah. then, which then again, okay. So um, again, not to okay, you know the the other the other side of that coin is that you know the first time we saw Jedi and all of a sudden it's like holy crap he's shooting lightning out of his fingers, <laughs> you know, and it's like. Oh my God, this, who is, you know, because yeah, you, we know it's the emperor and he's coming off the shelf and everything, but all of a sudden he's doing all this, you know, bad McClunky stuff. And if you were, again, I'm just assuming, but if you were to be a new watcher and by the time you get to episode six and you see all oh, that, yeah, that's that dude. Oh, he's using force lightning. Or we've seen that, you know? So it, it kind of, it, 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 so again, I think that gets into what order do you want? I don't know. It's it's just I I I would read it Fredo's way. I think if as a new viewer, I would I would be like, oh gosh, they're in trouble because this guy like beat Yoda, uh, he beat everybody. He he owns the galaxy. He's the he's the bad mother effer who killed Sam Jackson. Uh, you know, like this is this is bad news for for our heroes. But you know, like even if you watch it, the original way right that we did four through six and you go back one through three one through three does give us more palpatine which is always a good thing (laughs) um so i want to i want to throw in a kind of a fun one that i that this has really changed the way and from the minute that i saw this scene after seeing the phantom menace um, this is just kind of one of those fun ones. Um, in the Empire Strikes Back, um, Vader stopping Boba Fett from shooting Chewbacca on in Cloud City, and because who's Chewbacca carrying on his back? But C three PO, the droid that Anakin created, that does affect that scene it makes you go it you know things that make you go hmm you know it's like i know there are protocol droids all over the place but you know it's like that that scene now takes on it it, it takes on a whole different meaning because you know um 
and that that is just a way that the prequels has affected the original trilogy you know did vader know you know how all these things are playing out you know then it makes you wonder is it an accident that 3PO and R2 just happen to land on Tatooine in Luke Skywalker's lap. I don't know. That's uh, but let's let's first take the uh, the Vader stopping Boba Fett from killing Chewbacca with C3PO on his back. I don't know. What do you guys think about that one? Oh man, it's a fun thing. I don't know how much time I'd be willing to uh, spend on it, but I, you know, it is fun thing. I think we all like saw that pointed out at some point or realized it on our own, and it was like, hmm, you know. And that, those are the fun connections. It's like Anakin has interacted with like a lot of these people. It's like, is it a good thing that he had interacted with C-3PO? A lot of people will debate you on that. Um, it's like, well, this galaxy is very small, isn't it? But uh, well, it makes you uh, it makes you wonder if that was the. We'd have to talk to the you know have to go back and talk to George Lucas, and he'd probably make something up. But to me, it almost seems like somebody was. Like, hey, remember that scene in Empire? Let's make it so Anakin, you know, created um, C-3PO. And then it's it's one of the... Because otherwise, they could have introduced a protocol droid at any time, you know. But anyway, yeah, we don't have to spend too much time. But that is... I mean, that is an instance where, you know, that scene just becomes... At first, it's kind of like, oh, that's kind of interesting. The Vader's keeping him from just you know laying waste to everybody but now because he's holding his pet dog on his back it becomes you know a little different yeah i think what what you know this is one of the things that the prequels do when you first see that that moment originally seeing it all i've ever thought was okay vader did not want uh boba fett to start shooting up the place even if it was just to shoot uh chewbacca who was about to go on a tear so I, I didn't even think about anything beyond that. The fact that episode one introduces C-3PO as Anakin's creation shifts the meaning of that of that moment entirely, which is one of the things that a lot of the, that the prequels do to a lot of the stuff within the original trilogy. All of a sudden, you know, you know we, we we all laugh about the, uh, the the Luke and Leia kiss in Empire, and uh, you know we didn't tend need to go long to recontextualize that when we. The next movie kind of told us, yeah, that was kind of creepy. <laughs> so another, but, uh, oh, but that's the kind of things that the, the, the prequels do is they allow you to see both deeper connections and to reassess what you thought you knew was going on. I can dovetail off of that with another one that immediately springs to mind for me, which is the asteroid chase, um, which uh, culminates in them, uh, you know, stuck to the side of a star destroyer. And then floating away in the space garbage, and who sees them do this? Boba Fett. Boba. And it's because he had seen that happen in a previous chase through an asteroid belt with Obi Wan, who, you know, turned the power off on his ship and attached himself to the side of an asteroid. And Boba Fett put one and one together on that, and it's like, oh, I've seen this move before. I know what this move is. Um, and like it's adds adds another layer to that scene later on it's it's fun now i I do want to say i think one of my favorite scenes in the original trilogy is actually the exposition that obi-wan gives in his hut 
about mm-hmm. the and y- your bullet point on here of you know the republic and again anakin betraying and murdering luke's father and i've always i've always liked that scene because you you're like what's the republic what are jedi what are you know i remember just all these things and so if you've never seen um you can go on youtube and find it i don't know if star wars if it was lucasfilm the creator or just a fan but they took that exposition scene and they then put clips from the prequels in there when he talks about the clone wars and you see uh, you know clips from um from attack of the clones and you know he talks Mm -hmm. about anakin betrayed him and show anakin and obi-wan's fight from episode three it's an awesome clip and that and now that i mean that that scene gives me chills now think because obi-wan is really playing a poker face he's almost given luke everything but i mean there's some serious ptsd in that whole that whole exposition that whole monologue and like a few seconds before that, he's uh, he encounters R two D two. I don't seem to recall ever owning a droid. You know, like he's playing this whole thing cagey, and like now there's a diff- there's a different layer there. He's he's not telling the whole truth, um, just a version of it that he thinks uh, Luke can handle of it, of it in that moment. But to you know, circle back, that was the teaser trailer for Revenge of the Sith, and it was incredible. And it made a huge impact on me when I first saw it. I was like, this is this is perfect. This is what I want from the prequels. For over a thousand generations, the Jedi Knights were the guardians of peace and justice in the old Republic. Before the dark times. Before the Empire. A young Jedi named Darth Vader, who was a pupil of mine until he turned to evil, helped the Empire hunt down and destroy the Jedi Knights. Vader was seduced by the dark side of the Force. Lord Vader. Yes, Master. We have differing opinions on on how good a job Revenge of the Sith ultimately did, um, but it's like that. Yeah, just that scene was the promise, right? Of all this stuff that had happened and occurred, and and laid the groundwork for what was going to happen later on. And uh, and yeah, it's it's remarkable. I love it. I love I love the character. I love his interaction with Darth Vader later in the movie where they're fighting. And again, now that scene has more subtext because now we know what happened between the two of them. We've seen it. Um, that was always like rumored, like on that was the one of those playground things when we were kids, right? You know, it's like they fought on a volcanic planet or whatever. And like, how do you know that? It's like, well, I read it in this magazine or whatever. And it's like, Oh, I don't, you don't know what you're talking about. And, and, and like, so like there's a generation of kids who were brought up on these stories and then to just like, now they're, now they were real. They, they were affirmed. This stuff happened. And so it was, um, yeah, there's more gravitas now for that, that character in general. And 
I always loved him and I love him even more now. You almost you get you get an opportunity to see it's interesting seeing him and it's in some ways it's kind of um something that I think doesn't hit us as kids, hits us more as adults, is that at one point the generation before us, namely our parents, our grandparents, our uncles, those kind of aunts, they were young ones and they didn't necessarily know everything once. And sometimes they were rebellious and reckless and fun seeking and outgoing and you know, you get to meet them when they're uh, more solid, more stable, by and large. I mean, some of us still are fun seeking. Point being, getting to see Ben as young Obi-Wan and seeing the kind of stuff that he was getting into, seeing the kind of stuff that he was willing to do, you know, seeing him as a young Padawan and then later as a young Jedi Master. It's uh, it's interesting because he, and, and there's one aspect where casting was so excellent because Ewan McGregor nailed a lot of the mannerisms, the tone, the way of speech of uh, Sir Al Guinness. And, it, it, you know, you seamlessly transition from that character to the one you meet in episode four. You know, but to another point, however, the prequels have really affected, um, it, well, has made Obi-Wan and Yoda more flawed characters. You know, in the original trilogy, if you just watch four, five, and six, you think that they are, you know, um, they're all that in a bag of chips. They're perfect, mm-hmm. you know, and mm-hmm. the you you now see, you know, with Obi Wan now, you know, saying what I told you was true from a certain point of view. When you would see that for the first time, you're like, yeah, okay, and now you're like, you, know, you are like still playing this song you know it's it, so it really has affected how you 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 I, I view those two characters mm-hmm. more flawed than i did when i first saw the first uh four five and six i think for me that's a welcome change they're they're more relatable they're more interesting yeah it, one thing i was interested because in, uh somehow I found myself watching some uh a uh, bit of empire and it's the scene where uh, Luke is choosing to leave his training and go save his friends in Dagobah. You know, that moment where, you know, Yoda's chiding Ben, like, I told you he's reckless, you know, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, and it just hit me that at that point, how desperate they really were for this to work out with Luke. And then, you know, you, see, you know, normally you see, when I know I used to see that movie, it's like, okay, yeah, they're, you know they're they're kind of disappointed in Luke, but no, in some ways the disappointment is more on. Well, my it, God, we've been waiting for this chance for so long. We've sacrificed and so much for so, this. So and there it here's, goes. And here's the thing, though, <laughs> because because we got the prequels. So why are they? Is is it mm-hmm. for the glory? Is it for the saving of the galaxy, or is it for the saving of their reputations and and saving the Jedi reputation, you know what I mean? Because one of the underlying themes of the prequel trilogy is the vanity and, um, you know, smelling that the Jedi's were, Jedi were all smelling their own farts, you know? And so again, now you're looking at, I, when you bring up that scene, I'm thinking, yeah. And okay. So now I'm looking at that. Like, are they, do they really want this to look out so that they, they can save their reputation or are they really wanting to defeat evil? Mm-hmm. I mean, Anakin's An- Anakin in episode two and three kind of have a point. About yeah, the Jedi. I, I mean, like we've 
I think we've all touched on that one. Um, I like Fredo's interpretation of like desperation, like, oh mm-hmm. God, there he goes. We're mm-hmm. not done yet. Like this is the guy, and and mm-hmm. he left. What are we gonna do if he dies? You know, because really, like... <laughs> they had one plan, and the plan was you keep the kid away from everybody for as long yeah. as it takes, and you bring him in, you train him, get him ready, go, go battle yeah. your dad and kill him, and uh, you know, don't tell him he's your dad because he might not want to kill him. Yeah, and then, then he leaves early, and you're like, well, there goes that plan. <laughs> And they're going, no, no, but we got a plan. And Yoda's like, no, we got a plan B. Never mind the fact that plan B might be dying on Dagobah. Um, other couple of things, like since the timer went off, I just wanted to touch on the rhyming a little bit more. There's a lot of examples of it. Uh, I think some of it's intentional. Some of it's not so intentional because I, I think the fans like to just, we like to see it. We watch these movies over and over and over. And it's like, oh, that rhymes with that. Maybe um some of this stuff's really obvious though like i think the end battle of uh the phantom menace is meant to mirror the end battle of return of the jedi i think like their bookends right this is this is the point we start we end in the same place where we sort of began um and i think like that's a really deliberate choice well, you know, um, and, and to that point i just I'll throw a little personal story in here um mm-hmm. you know uh because some people really have a problem with that, that, you know, that there is, you know, it's like the same thing over here as it was over here. But um, one, and I don't think she would mind me saying this, you know, one time Brittany got a psychic reading done, got a, a tarot card reading done. And they said to the psychic said to her said, this is not Brit and Mai's first go around that we've connected in past lives you know, and they said that actually, you know, like it's it's feasible that the, the three of us have, you know, interacted before in a past life. That's why. So we keep gravitating towards, you know, one another. Um, so to go through some of the same song and dance, you know, even though it's not the same person, I get it. But um, that's kind of a that's kind of a cosmic theory. So I and again, I don't discount that as as being valid um and i think like from a storytelling perspective this is a really smart thing to do because you can compare and contrast and again like the the point of it is like by the end of it you're supposed to feel like luke is going to turn to the dark side like his dad right every everything is awful we're seeing the same thing happen over and over again, and we can't change anything. We can't break the cycle, and instead it happens. And so, like, I think every time that they can, like, reinforce that point in the movies, um, they will. And, again, it's like, well, look, we're going to show you a, a, a thing, and then we're going to show you a, the same thing but slightly different, right? And so, like, it, it is the same but not quite. And so you get these little kind of hints that like maybe there's a chance, maybe this is going to unfold the way that we want it to. Um, and I think that's that's like the larger point of it, right? And and so because of that and because of the, the fact that I think that it is intentional, I, I love it. That's one of the things about the, the saga that I just enjoy 
immensely. And this is why I can watch the prequels. Some people find them unwatchable. Not me. I love watching those movies because it's like I'm constantly thinking about the original trilogy and like where this is all headed and ultimately what's going to happen at the end of the day. And I guess like that's part of the enjoyment that I get out of it. But again, I guess the point that we were trying to make somewhat is that um, the original trilogy, it can work in reverse too. Mm -hmm. And that you can watch the original trilogy now and get more out of that, those movies than you might've gotten originally because the prequels exist. You know, and, and and one last one for me that again, my whole thing has always been people who complain about the storyline of the prequels weren't paying attention because there is a line in a new hope. How will the emperor maintain control without the bureaucracy? So that line is, is paid off with all of the bureaucratic nonsense that's going on in episodes one, two, and three, and how he needed that to gain control and needed to work the system. So if anybody didn't think that episodes one, two, and three was going to be about politics, then you weren't paying attention. I mean, now it's paid off in episode four. So I, I, I see that scene that hear that line now in that scene. It makes me, it, it, it takes along a little bit more meaning for me. Just to finish off, Mark, it's something that I, I that I know Lucas was trying to stress, particularly with episode three, was the idea of the fall of the Republic. That it wasn't that it fell, that it, but that it was willingly given up. You know, people didn't. You know, the Emperor didn't Jedi mind trick the entire galaxy into making him the Emperor. You know, he didn't gain power. Only Jar Jar Binks. Right. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So. People willingly conceded out of their fear, out of their hatred, out of their apathy, out of their uh, greed. They willingly turned power over to this guy, not realizing the depths of what he was willing and able to do. And they all got played. And in some ways, that's there's a lesson there that Lucas is trying to hammer to audiences. But sometimes, you know, okay, you, know, you can be you got to have a big hammer, but at the same time, it doesn't necessarily mean that it doesn't need to be reminded now and then. That, you know, usually people willingly give up of themselves, you know, without being cognizant of what they're giving up. That's a really good point. Um, I The one other thing that I would bring up uh, would be R2-D2 and like how he made that choice at the end of Revenge of the Sith not to have his memory wiped. A very deliberate choice, a very pointed choice. We're going to tell you here and we're going to wink at the audience this droid knows everything he's your narrator and he's seen it all and there's just a lot of fun you know like what if your mind really begins to wander it's like oh, well he's seen all these things like how does that impact this scene later on well i mean it really does because when the escape pod r2 is the one that brings them into the escape pod I mean, and he knows well what's down on Tatooine. Mm -hmm. He knows that he may not know. Well, he probably knows Luke there as well, but he knows that Obi-Wan is down there. And so, you know, yeah, I mean, and I still love, you know, he's the poster boy of snitches get stitches. I mean, <laughs> I'm just, I was going to say, I'm just waiting for one movie to pull back, like from the final shot to a blue hologram. And it'll just be R2 
showing the hologram, kind of telling you that he was telling the whole story all along. And then wow. Iris out, directed by. Yeah, well, we, you know, so go, everybody got so ticked off at The Force Awakens because he's under a sheet for that entire movie. Well, if he's not under a sheet and shut down for the entire movie, there's no movie. There's no movie. It's like, where's Luke? Oh, he's over here. Yeah. All right, well, good. Cool. Well, hey, you know, if uh, let us know um, how you feel the prequels have enhanced your um, uh, viewing of the original trilogy. Um, I stayed I stayed positive so you can stay positive, Um, you know, but let us know what you think. Are there different scenes that take on new meaning um, after seeing episodes one, two and three? Um, And, uh, you know, another thing, jot this down, Dave, because I think another thing would be to look at other movie uh, I guess movie um, uh, franchises oh, that that went and tried to do a prequel and did they accomplish what Star Wars did or did they do it better? You know, because really Star Wars came up with the whole prequel concept. Mm-hmm. I mean, as a huge thing. So maybe looking at that and say, did they, did they, uh, did they get it or didn't they get it? That might be an interesting episode. But um, until then, we didn't talk about the Saints because week one was Maybe. yay. Week two was uh, Week three was yay. Week four was meh. So it's a uh, roller coaster. we told you a long time ago, folks, this is the way the season's going to go. So just make sure the fridge is stocked with beer. Um, and since it is uh, October, make sure you have Oktoberfest type beer. Right, Dave? That's right. No IPAs. Roast. Yeah, so <laughs> anyway, with that, we will say who dat? Who dat? Do you guys need a bigger cue? <laughs> uh, and, we'll, and, and, and study up on your science. Have a good week. My monkey.